1: Wins on the bounce for Manchester United as Eric Ten Hag leads the Reds to one of our most positive runs of form in years. His authority firmly laid down and the quality of his side shown time and time again. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Thank you for joining us. It's basically monsoon season in Manchester, so you may be able to hear the pattering of rain in the background. Last night was a a very wet one at Old Trafford as United beat Charlton 3-0. Uh, and so are the three games before very well as well. It's our first episode in a while and we have plenty to discuss. United on a real high. We'll talk about our two cup ties against Charlton and Everton, our overall league form since club football returned as well after the World Cup. You'll get your regular youth loan and women's roundups in the middle of the show and we'll play guests the player and then we'll preview a really Tasty, exciting Manchester derby coming up on Saturday lunchtime. Let's get stuck in because there's not long till the next game there never is in in this manic season. Jack Charlton on Tuesday night was uh, a convincing scoreline, but not an entirely convincing performance. Uh, some real positives, but before we do kind of the, the bigger pitches, it's another one of those games, which is a very good result. But we, we did ride a luck a little bit, as I think we did against Wolves and Everton. Uh, especially as well. That's fine for now. We will have to step it up soon to, to keep these kind of results going. But into a League Cup semi-final is is what exactly what we wanted at the start of the season to be in a top four race and then comfortably reaching the League Cup semi-final is very good and a real opportunity now. Yeah,
0: Charlton itself, especially the second half, was probably the weakest I've seen United play since we've come back from the World Cup. But, after getting the job done, it's been the perfect way you could ever imagine United returning to action. Six wins on the spin, five clean sheets, five of those wins com- coming by more than one goal, which is something we mentioned during the World Cup. We yeah. wanted to see United start winning some games more comfortably. We've done that. Like you said, we've ridden our luck at times, and there's always the caveat that we haven't exactly played the most difficult fixtures. But these are games United have struggled in in previous years, and these yeah. are the games you should be winning two, three, four nil. United are finally doing that and playing some convincing football at times as well. It, it's it been enjoyable to watch United. It's, it's enjoyable because it still feels like there is so much more to come from this team. Yeah. You know, if you go back to, say, the Spurs performance, which is still the high watermark that we've seen from United under under Ten Hag, we've I don't think we've really got anywhere close to that those heights in these last months since we've come back from the World Cup. And yet the results have still been as good as they have. As they have been.
1: Agreed. Yeah, definitely. We're going to talk uh, in, in a bit more depth about kind of the key players to the last few weeks in, in the second section of the, the episode. But before we move on from Charlton, there are a few players I think we we must mention, beginning with Kobi Mainu, who slotted into midfield very well, age 17, on his debut. He was excellent. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, what an occasion for him. I'm so happy that he's been given his chance. Yeah. He absolutely deserved it. Right, he's been brilliant in the youth teams. He played so well in the FA Cup in the FA Youth Cup run last year. And he's a player that, given United's kind of lack of depth in, mid- in midfield, he is a player that you think could get some more opportunities as the season progresses. Fixtures are going to keep piling up. I thought he came in, he didn't do anything that sort of jumped off the page, but he did it. He was very tidy no. in possession, he made some good runs especially down in the the right inside channel. There were a few times I felt like Anthony could have played him in and he made some good runs into space, but yeah. you know, a, a very solid and positive outing for him on debut.
1: Yeah. He didn't, he settled very well. I, I, I remember turning to, to my brother and mates after about three minutes and he just done not, not like a full spin, but just a really nice touch on the edge of the box. And I thought oh, he's, he's really, he's, he's just looks completely calm instantly which I think is for people who've watched him play will be no surprise and heard him speak and, and spoken to him. It's he, That's the kind of character he seems to be very grounded and, and, and confident in his abilities without having that arrogance. But apart from that moment, it was generally just, yeah, he didn't put a foot wrong. He didn't do anything that stood out. That's fine. In terms of Cobby Minor as a player, that isn't, well, what I think people should expect because he's not that midfield player. He's the kind of midfield player who you think, "Wow, how have you done that?" Or at least he has been in uh, in youth football. Whether he can translate that into senior football, we'll see. It's something that under 21's coaches were trying to get him to work on more is finding those really like game changing passes and and having the belief to play them and the the ability to to execute them. But he's really good and spoke really well after. He's a very good talker. Has a and even just has a deep voice that uh, betrays his years, but yeah, delighted for him and his family who are all there. It's uh, another great moment. The 246th Academy graduate to play for Manchester United, we're very nearly reaching uh, a magic 250 mark. And there was another one who was very good actually, and I'm not going to say Garnacho yet, but Tom Heaton, actually. I'm, I'm pleased for him as well. His first start for United. He is the oldest. Uh, kind of academy graduate to play at like made his debut at 35 against Young Boys was it against Young Boys last year? Yeah, I think yeah. So. against Young Boys last year but, but he was actually he actually had a really good performance and I'm pleased for him that he, he didn't just play he got to show his quality his distribution I thought was excellent and his, speed, his
0: distribution yeah. and his proactiveness from crosses too. There were a few times I saw him coming out mm. to claim crosses and I, I think because we've become so used to having De Gea yeah. who is one of the least proactive goalkeepers, I, I became a bit nervous when Heaton was coming out for some crosses at times but he yeah. came and claimed every single one of them really well. Didn't Even though we didn't play very well in the second half and Charlton did have quite a lot of the ball, they never really created any great chances. Heaton, Heaton didn't really have to make any saves but he did everything that was asked of him. It was probably a slightly busier night than he expected, just in terms of touches and claiming some of those crosses. But, you know, yeah. happy for him that he got to have, you know, a game in front of a, an almost full house at Old Trafford. Did everything that yeah. was asked of him really well. And like you said, to set us up. There were some, especially some of his long throws. There's one in particular out to Garnacho in the first half. that was brilliant. Yeah.
1: Garnacho, very exciting again. And it it feels like with every good game he plays like this. And I think there is an important caveat that, his performances the recent ones i think before christmas he was he was showing it against premier league opposition and that was that was all good the re- since christmas united have played uh lesser teams in 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 the cups and in the league uh, and garacho's doing well that is a caveat that the type of opposition he's playing but just his touch yeah is incredible at the moment and I've, I'm always worried because we, we speak about Luke Shaw's touch a lot and it's like, is it a confidence thing? And I think we, even as like amateur footballers, not even amateur, just kind of recreational footballers. Uh, I think everyone who's played football will know that like when you're confident and when you're playing football a lot, your touch is great. And when you're not and you come back after like three weeks off for Christmas or something, you come back to Fiverside and you suddenly think, oh, my touch has really really gone here. So I'm always wary of that is is is. Is it just because Guardach was really confident at the moment, is that why he's touched? But the the ability to bring down some of the balls he does and and set him off onto his next action is just brilliant. He's so exciting and dynamic, and I love him. And I just I just hope he he carries on improving.
0: The thing that's really stood out to me in this really good run of form that he's had, he's just incredibly smart on the ball. There there are some players, it's, even though they are extremely talented on the ball in terms of their dribbling, their ability to beat a man, maybe put good crosses in the box. Some players just don't have an awareness of how to manoeuvre the ball to create little pockets of space for themselves. Garnacho has that natural instinct, that natural ability to manoeuvre the ball in abundance. Yeah. The, the one that really stood out was in the first half, one of the many long diagonal passes that were sprayed out to him by Maguire, which we're by the way those is a passes, big... Yeah. Really good. And a, a big sort of noticeable thing about him playing at right centre-back rather than left is that he can kind of step out and play those raking long balls easily across his body, which he can't yeah. really do as easily from the left. There was one that it came to... There had been a few minutes earlier, a ball played out, maybe by Maguire as well, that had bounced over Garnacho's head. And this one bounced in front of him and he just about managed to get it up on his chest and the ball sort of looped up and the Charm defender was right on him. And if Garnacho tried to get that, that ball under control and just stop it dead... The Charlton defender would easily have been able to tackle him at, you know, at best, or sort of, if he goes out for a throw at worst, you lose the ball, Charlton on the counter-attack. So when that ball loops up, instead of trying to stop it dead, Garnacho immediately puts a big touch out towards the byline, so he yeah. gets himself a yard of space and then cuts back inside. as He knows the defender's going to dive in. I think it ended up with him coming inside and he tried to shoot towards the far corner. It just went wide. But it's just little things like that of not always doing the simple thing. But just having this great understanding of how to manoeuvre the ball and understand where the defender's going to be, that, I think, to me, has been so impressive. And there's a number of times throughout the game. I mean, he had, was it Carey, the Charlton right-back? He had him on toast from the the first minute. And yeah, it was a great performance.
1: Yeah, very happy. And we've said this for a few players now, but for for Kendall Polistri as well, his debut. uh, Long-awaited debut, and it must have been difficult. His whole time at United must have been difficult, but especially the last six months where he's... and and the last couple of weeks actually where he's come back from a really good world cup and still not been getting a look in. So I'm pleased and he's, he's exciting, isn't he? And I don't know whether his future at United is a long-term one, whether he could even leave this month or, or in the summer. I don't know, but I want to see more of him because from what we saw in the world cup and what uh, I didn't really get to watch him at Alaves at all, but when he was playing in United under-21s, when he's played in friendlies, when he's played for Uruguay. And and this performance, which he got a deserved assist on, he's he's just, he's fun to watch. I like him. And I, I, I don't know fully what to make of him yet, but I think, yeah, I want to see a bit more of you.
0: He was fantastic when he came on. You know, a player that we haven't really had a chance to see very much of because he's, he hasn't really gone out on loan this season. He got a few minutes at the World Cup, but nothing too much. And that Uruguay team didn't play particularly well throughout the World Cup. But I mean this little cameo was excellent. Some of the little touches he had, there was one where we, we had the ball in the right back spot. I think Wambasaka uh won it back, played the ball up to Pelistri, some really, really good feet to maneuver it past the past the player. The ball goes into the right wing, and then I think it ended up with Pelistri going past the player in the box. And I think was it I think he got the cross into McTominay, it led to a shot that was blocked. Obviously got the assist for Rashford's second goal or oh, the first goal even, there was just a lot to like in in just a 10-minute cameo. And I mean, you can only hope that Pulisci gets a few more opportunities because it does seem like there is some serious talent there that we just haven't really got to see very much. Ten Hag, after the game, hinted that Pulisci will, will be given more of an opportunity that he has been impressing in training. You know, it, it sort of goes under the radar sometimes, I think, just how deep United's stocks are in uh, in terms of wingers when you've got players effectively that can all play in the, uh, either left or right wing in, in Rashford, Sancho, Anthony, Martial could play out there, although he's sort of more of a number nine now. And then you've got youngsters like Garnacho, Ahmad out on loan, Palistri here. Like the, the depth that United have and the talent that we have in that position is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. Really.
1: yeah. Palistri's a, a funny one as well, because I think I saw this in the, in the world cup as well, where he just seems, he just runs at, at people and, it doesn't really kind of matter how many defenders are in front of him. And sometimes it, it comes off and he just kind of jinks past them and, and through a crowded area and other times he loses the ball, but he just goes up and, and does it again. It's like a, I mean this in a, in a, a, a an optimistic and praiseworthy way um, that it's like, like an eight year old kid who just goes time and time again, back in and in and, um, and I like that youthful conviction and that's something Garnacho has as well where I think you were talking about what he gives us that other wingers don't but I think one of the key things is early in the season we mentioned with Anthony that conviction and we'll talk about him later because I think he's he's lost that a bit uh, Garnaccio absolutely has that conviction of just uh, I think that's what helps him so much uh, in terms of looking dynamic and that first touch and, and his decision-making he's there's no doubt in his mind that he's making the, the right or wrong decision he just goes and, and does it and it's it's, it's, it's coming off Everton uh, on Friday was an exciting cup tie not a brilliant performance but another very good result and going through in two cups is, is massive and I think that's probably the main, main thing we, we take away from those two games because that's what cups are about not really the performances
0: yeah, without meaning to use a classic kind of BBC and ITV cliche, it was a, it was a classic cup tie. I kind of feel, yeah. kind of feel to the game. It really was. Everton were coming in I, was, I was desperate
1: field. for, because I thought that game could have been dull. But actually, it was really exciting and I enjoyed it. And Friday night football's a bit weird and I'm, I don't really love it. But this was, this was good fun.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's one of those games, I think, if that was in the Premier League and we went 1-0 up as early as we did... I think it would have probably petered out to quite a boring sort of like two 0 United win where Everton were hesitant to go for it too much they don't want to get battered but yeah. in the end they actually they they came out and they they played pretty well I thought Everton and obviously had yeah, the goal that went in from De Gea's howler hilarious howler which we can laugh about now because <laughs> we ended up winning winning the game yeah. but I mean you know we rode our luck at times obviously disallowed goal by you know a matter of centimeters from uh, Demary Gray's offside in the build up to Everton's second yeah it was a It was a game where United just struggled for control all game, really, despite dominating chances and creating more than enough to put that game away far, far earlier than we did. But like you said, we we threw in two cups. This is a really important part of this season. Ten Hag has said as much himself, and he has pedigree from his time in Holland of of winning trophies. I think it was six trophies that he won, three of which were cups during his time with Ajax. So... He has the experience of doing it. He has talked up the importance of winning trophies at United. It's been too long already since we've won any of these. So, you know, now in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup, the FA the FA Cup draw has massively opened up with, yeah. uh, with Chelsea now out, Man City playing Arsenal in the next round, Newcastle out, Liverpool still got to go, get through a replay against Wolves. You know, this is a real opportunity for we'll United now. Yeah, there's loads. Yeah, and we'll probably have every single game at home, as we have done for...
1: How many cup <laughs> ties in a row is it now? It's eight cup ties in a row, I believe. The chances of which is there's some debate around this on the United We Stand forum between some mass nerds, but it's either one in 256 or one in 255, which is ridiculous. As, as a season ticket holder, I love going to games, but given how busy this season is anyway, when a draw like that, if, if to be fair, it's, it's more about the opposition. Home draw, yeah. great, if it's if it's someone exciting, but Reading, how many times? Reading and Derby is just endless and I know lots of yeah. people will be, will be feeling the same. And genuinely, like the amount of jokes, different group chats or different sets of mates, like United supporting mates that will speak about the cup draw well before it happens and go, oh, yeah, I bet we'll get Derby at home or someone will say, I bet we'll get Reading at home. And it, it just always seems to come true. I just, either Premier, all Premier League ties are boring, although Everton ended up being fun. Uh, so I'm a bit bit hypocritical there. Uh, but Derby and Reading, I'm just sick of it. You want you either want fun, exciting, small teams at home, or like a fun away trip. And and Reading at home is is neither of them. And just the fact so many are at homes. United fans haven't had a, an away cup day since COVID. Wow, well. which is genuinely a real shame because the away cup games are just some of the best because you get a massive allocation ma- way massive bigger away following than in, you will in the in Premier cup League.
0: Games. It's so good. Even, even at yeah. Old Trafford, like here in the Everton and, and the Charlton fans were uh, unbelievable last night as well. They're, yeah. They're so good and for, like, like you said, going to it as an away fan is such a great experience.
1: Yeah. United you know, would be able to take six, seven thousand to the biggest grounds, or four, five thousand to smaller ones, and that's, that's that's what you follow football for. And it, that's United you know, fans are kind of be deprived of that post-COVID in in the cup scene. But the draw has opened. One of my favourite things from the chance. weekend
0: was speaking of like away trips to kind of small teams. we seeing Arsenal playing at Oxford with some yeah. guys just perched on top of a van <laughs> in the car park at one end of the stadium.
1: Yeah, it did. The weekend overall did remind me the FA Cup is. Just, I I still see it, not as the pinnacle of like, in terms of quality and, and competitiveness, obviously not, but as a football fan, it's just the best. The third round weekend, slightly ruined by the fact night were Friday night, but that meant I did then get to watch kind of the whole FA Cup weekend. Um, didn't manage to get to get to a game on Saturday, which was a shame because Stockport was sold out before I could get a ticket, but... It's, it's just like the, the number of games and the number of storylines is so good. And it it brings everything that's good about football together where you have some really quality games, some scrappy ones. You have Arsenal going to Oxford with three stands and, and people standing on top of a van, but also just the biggest drama you can ever imagine. Like Stevenage beating Villa late on, uh, Sunderland winning late on. I can't remember who it was against. Shrewsbury. Um, but so, so many like that. Shrewsbury, yeah. Um, yeah brilliant I love the FA it's Cup just, and I'm glad it's just this, like, still massive, in it because seasons always feel better when you're still in the FA Cup. For something yeah, I,
0: I think over the last couple of years it's felt especially because there haven't been fans or there wasn't fans for a couple of seasons it felt almost like a bit of a nuisance the FA Cup because you didn't quite get that yeah. that sort of sense of like magic that comes with it and it, it just felt like it was just getting in the way into the fixture congestion but now I think with fans properly back the, the competition is regaining its sense of importance, and I, I think what I love about it is that you get these just massive culture shocks so often, and like yeah. the, the 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 view of like Arsenal players used to you know this absolutely beautiful stadium at the Emirates walking into these little dingy training <laughs> training group uh, so dressing rooms at Oxford, you know, or, or Wrexham potentially getting drawn with a, a Premier League team, which didn't end up happening, but it's just these like massive culture shocks that I think is quite unique to English football because the ladder is so long. And the the sort of the, the, the separation between the top clubs and and the bottom clubs is so big in terms yeah. of just like the facilities that you get. It's just it's such a great spectacle watching players and teams in in scenarios and in settings that you would never normally associate them with.
1: Yeah, that Wrexham game was mad. Um, yeah, so many good stories we can't mention them all. Uh, let's move on after we play uh, the first round of Guess the Player. Then we'll talk about our recent league form, which has been good. Ahead of ahead of the derby and uh, I'm setting the clues for Guest the Player this week, and Jack is guessing. Okay, first clue for Guest the Player, Jack, is and just a very quick reminder of the rules, there are three clues. You get more points the quicker you guess guessing. That's pretty much it. First clue is, I'm an Irish defender who made 199 appearances for Manchester United. I'm an Irish defender who made 199 appearances for Manchester United. And uh, unless you have an instant answer, we'll move on and you can guess after two or three.
0: No, I mean, when Irish defenders come to mind, the two that... When, when you say Irish defenders, the two that immediately come to mind are John O'Shea and Dennis Irwin, but both made way too many appearances for that. Interesting.
1: Okay, L- let's move yeah. on.
0: No one else immediately comes to mind. So we'll see after the
1: second yep. one. Okay, let's talk about the recent league form. It's been brilliant. I mean, eight wins in a row in general, but that includes three cup victories. So five consecutive league wins. Yes, some of them being uh, so, so-called easy games, but it's, it's just, I mean, it's stating the obvious, but it's hard to win five games in a row, whoever you're playing. It requires focus and, and concentration and, uh, no mistakes. Uh, and United are putting in, I'd say seven out of 10 performances most weeks recently, but sometimes six out of 10 and still winning. Um, and the way that Ten Argus managed this return from the World Cup is I just, I can find no fault in it at all. He's, United and Fulham were the only teams to win their three festive league games. That's an achievement. But also, Ten Hag's done that while resting players. So, Lissandra Martinez and Diogo Dallo both needed a good rest. They got it. Uh, Ten Hag then put his authority down even more with the Rashford incident at Wolves. Fantastic. And that kind of, this, this last couple of weeks represents the whole last 10 months where I think, I I don't know how he could have done a better job up to this point. He's not only just outdone expectations in terms of performances and results for me, not by a massive distance, but by a fairly considerable distance, but he's also outdone expectations in terms of his handling of the media as well. And I think that makes a massive difference to the pressure that any managers on day. It's been, it's been great, hasn't it?
0: It really has. I've got to say, I've, I've been so impressed with Ten Hag in so many ways and especially with the Ronaldo cloud gone from the club, it feels like we are now sort of entering a, a new period in his management where it seems like everything is just a bit clearer. And there isn't this this thing sort of hanging over the club in terms of the, the, just in the media, all the storylines and everything. It's much more focused now on the players. We've seen Rashford step up massively since Ronaldo's gone. He was already before, but he's sort of taken that to another level. This feels like a... And we mentioned it at the start of the episode. I, I think what's been so great about this is United have come back. We said won six games in a row, five clean sheets. We started winning games by more than a goal, which is a big thing that we wanted to improve from the start of the season because we couldn't keep living on those sort of unsustainable, really close margin of victories that we were having earlier in the season. But we've done it all without really playing our best. There have been really good moments. Yeah. You know, There's been some periods in games or some attacks where you think, wow, this is what we're capable of when we put it all together. But I don't think we've even had a half where you'd say United were sort of nine, 10 out of 10. Like you said, it's been six and a half, seven out of 10 performances most of the time. We've ridden our luck on a few occasions, especially against Wolves, against Everton, even at times against Charlton. But you you got to take your opportunities when you are presented with that kind of luck as well. And that's something that I think United have, have started to do. As as we move forward, this is a, now a massive 10 days for the club because the way that the, the City and Arsenal games in particular, the way that those two games pan out massively change the complexion of the rest of the league season for United because you win both of those games. All of a sudden, at worst, you're one point behind City. do
1: whisper it. And, and Don't six say it points behind loudly. Arsenal.
0: <laughs> but, but lose both yeah. of those games and, and you're now, what, 12 points behind Arsenal, uh, seven points behind City and it feels like we're kind of out of the title race and it's more sort of looking over our shoulder at Tottenham. So
1: a massive 10 we're days come up. We're not, whatever happens, <clears throat> we're not in the title race. <laughs> we, we might be kind of holding on to the, to the, the tails of City and Arsenal, but I don't know. Yeah. I saw an article I, I, in, I, in The you, Athletic you by, I all.
0: think it was Mark Critchley. And this, this was like 10 days ago at this point. He was saying, you know, there is now talk of the title at Manchester United and it doesn't feel ridiculous. I was thinking, well, hang on. <laughs> We're, we've only won at yeah. like that point. We've only won sort of three games. What do you own?
1: mean by ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah. But, that right, I say that as as a fan who who I don't want to like <laughs> get my hopes up, you know what I mean? But as as a footballer, that's not how footballers think. And if United are within six points, say in, in two weeks or whatever, they will be thinking about the title because the, that why why would you you obviously would be so as a fan and as someone I like to think with fairly measured opinions United are not in the title race right now but in the dressing room if United beat City and Arsenal they will obviously think yeah we can we can go home in the title because why not we should talk about a couple of players who have stood out beginning with Casemiro and I'll let you start on on this wonderful man
0: <laughs> it, well just how 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 good is he to watch yeah I mean. The the ball recoveries, the, the the amount of ground he covers defensively, it feels like he's just one step ahead of the game at all times. I, I noticed it so much in the Everton game in particular, because like I said we didn't the, the whole team didn't play that well, and Everton had some really good attacking opportunities in that game. And so often Casemiro would be stepping out of defense, intercepting passes. I think our our first goal actually starts from Casemiro intercepting a ball on the edge of our own box before it eventually works its way out is to, that the, to Rashford through Martial.
1: Is that the own goal?
0: No, the Anthony's goal at the back post. It starts from Casemiro ah, at the edge of our Eve, own box. Eve. He's the one that cuts it out and plays it forward to Martial before it goes out to Rashford.
1: Right, well, yeah, the own goal as well also starts with Casemiro. <laughs> a crossfield ball in his own defensive third. Uh, Casemiro is kind of, uh, I think he's facing towards his own goal in a bit of a tight area and turns around and finds a crossfield ball, then comes out and keeps it going. He, he reaches the final third and then just does a simple pass on. It's nothing special, but he, is, he begins that move as well. It's just... We knew about his that, that defensive is qualities and, and how he'd um, make lots of interceptions and tackles and, and always managed to not pick up a yellow card, which is beautiful to have our own player who can do that, having watched Fernandinho and, and yeah. watching do it for, for ages. But I think that what I've... How he's exceeded expectations in my head is how he's revolutionised how United can quickly transition from defence into attack as as those two goals. Yeah. show. and it's it, the the quality of his his passing and and vision and and how quickly he can do that has has been better than I expected.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. I think we knew what we were getting in terms of the defensive ability of, of Casemiro, but I think he sort of developed a bit of a reputation as just a, a thumper and a destroyer yeah. who then in in possession, it was much more just, you know, give it to Modric and Kroos or whoever else at Real Madrid and, you know, let, let them kind of be involved in the build-up. Whether, you know, we obviously don't watch Real Madrid anywhere near as much as we watch Man United. So whether that was actually the case and he was just doing that because Real Madrid had better players in the build-up than Man United do, or whether that was actually never the case and it was just sort of the reputation that, preceded him i'm i'm not 100% sure but his ability on the ball has massively exceeded my expectation it's not always perfect no it, yeah definitely. in some ways reminds me of it, it, he reminds me a little bit obviously playing in a very different position of a slightly less extreme bruno fernandes in that actually casemiro quite often is trying very high very low percentage passes not quite as low percentage as as Fernandez, but it's all it's all done very very quickly, and it's all done with a speed of thought that is. It means when they those passes come off, like we just mentioned, they often end up leading to very good attacks for us because it just happens at a speed that means the team that we're playing against can't recover. Fred and McTominay, Fred in particular, has that trait in him as well, but it's just a lot messier, a lot scrappier than Casemiro is. Mm-hmm. And so when Fred tries to launch his counter attacks quickly, often the pass isn't precise enough or he'll lose the ball before he can, can release it. Casemiro, everything is, is one or two touches when he when he wins the ball back and he gets us playing on the counter-attack so quickly. He It's not necessarily that he is the best pass you've ever seen, but he just does things quickly enough and he sees the game so well that it puts us in really, really good positions when we do win the ball back. He, we were already a good team in transition, but he has made that so much better in both defence and attack because he's so good at stopping those defensive transitions, stopping the attacks of the other team in our defensive transitions, but he's also made us much better at launching our own attacking transitions as well.
1: Yeah, and I think the speed at which he can create those and the quality with which he does it means that United can now play in those transitional moments against teams who appear to be sitting back, if you know what I mean, whereas before we kind of only really got to see that quality of United against the bigger teams when space would open up. But Gashmurrow is managing that even against kind of the lesser teams who sit back and, and he manages to do it. It's been been great. And I think it's a really funny one, isn't it? Because his signing is a credit to the new setup at United, as in Tenaga and Murta and and everyone involved in in his signing, is very good. Um, there is there is one criticism you can make that it took too long why did we sign him after two games uh, after two very bad defeats at the start of the season but I think in general is a credit that this is not a signing we thought United were going to make and it's good and they convinced him to come and he clearly loves it uh, but how long did we wait to see this <laughs> signing made and and the, the impact is already it's just astonishing United have removed what was our biggest weak link for a decade and the impact's just obvious for everyone to see. And you think this is how good Casemiro is, is, is actually a stain on, on all the decisions made with regard to recruitment over the past decade. Cause this is what can happen if you do it right. It's yeah. It's yeah. Massive. Um, Luke Shaw also as class as Casemiro, I would say. And, and a centre-back as well, which is massive. He've, he's been really good, hasn't he? I'm so impressed with him.
0: So, so good. I mean, I, to be honest, the, the Shaw's ability and his, his, his impact on this United team was probably only fully hit home to me watching us last night against Charlton where Melassia played. Melassia played fine. He didn't have a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. But just seeing how different it is having Luke Shaw in the team Especially at left back, compared to what Malassia brings going forward, it is just such a massive difference that Luke that Luke Shaw brings to us. And at centre back, he stepped in, didn't didn't have any real trouble, didn't get bullied once that you might have expected when a fullback moved into centre back. And I, and you know, what I've got to give a lot of credit to Ten Hag as well. Obviously, in the first game when Shaw played, well, what game was that? Was was that not Forest? I believe so. Yeah, when Maguire had the yeah. the bug. You know, that was, that was sort of enforced. Maguire was on the bench, but wasn't fit enough to play the whole game. But then against Wolves, when Shaw played there again, it, you know, Ten Hag could have easily played a different centre back there, but he's, he's recognized that having a left footer in that left, left hand centre back spot is a massive part of the way he wants us to play. He put Shaw back in there and Shaw responded with just a, such a, such a good performance. He is, I, it almost goes under the radar, I think, how big Shaw's improvement has been over the last couple of years. Because if you go back to even the start of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time at United, Shaw was, Shaw's United career was in a little bit of jeopardy. Maybe not in terms of, of leaving the club, but he, he wasn't a regular starter. He was, he was outperformed by he,
1: Brandon Williams.
0: Yeah, exactly. Alex Teller's played the majority of last season, partially because of injuries, partially because of form. You know, the resurgence that he has had is is unbelievable. And he's now like you said, up there with Casemiro and, and Rashford as two of United's or three of United's most important players.
1: Yeah. Particularly big is that he's now an option at left centre-back going forward. And I think we'll probably play for the first leg of our Europa League match against Barcelona There is not, Maybe not probably, possibly. Uh, the other option would be, I don't know who else he'll, he'll put there because Tanaga's sacrificed some principles. We've Gone through them in the past, but this is clearly one of the non-negotiables. Is like a left-footed ball player at left centre back is something he, he values massively, and we can you can we can all see why. Uh, I think Shaw's performances at centre back showed that. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant. I mean,
0: Shaw, Shaw's stats. I'm looking out at his as a FB Ref uh, Football Reference like scouting report page. His in terms of his percentile among fullbacks, his, his on the ball numbers are off the charts. Assists, expected assists, shot creating actions progressive passes, all of them in at least the 80th percentile or higher among fullbacks. He's mm. just, you know, a lot of fullbacks that are good on the ball, you just kind of associate them with with good dribbling, you know, driving to the byline, and putting crosses in, sort of the more traditional fullback. But Luke Shaw is, he's blossomed into a sort of slightly different kind of fullback, slightly more in sort of like the Trent Alexander-Arnold mould, where it's actually just his ability on the ball to progress a team up the pitch is unbelievable, unbelievable. And, he Some has of the passes himself. he plays. Yeah, exactly. He's he, lovely, yeah. Even just a couple of years ago, he was a bit more of that traditional fullback. He's always been good going forward, but it was more the runs that he would make he was very good at overlapping with Rashford. They built up a good understanding. It was more kind of getting to the byline, getting crosses in. But I think partially as he's matured and, and partially because of Ten Hag's system where he's pushing his fullbacks inside a little more, you know, Shaw has improved massively in his ability to play in slightly tighter spaces and to function a little bit more as like a midfield player at times. And you're kind of seeing that in the stats that he's he's putting out this season. It, his output in possession is just so so good.
1: He's been here for it was just while he's speaking. I thought he's he's always been here for a decade now. Like uh, he's I mean, yeah. he's not knit, like literally about to hit a decade, but I think eight eight seasons. Maybe he might be in his well, I, ninth season. I was season.
0: watching after, after Gareth Bale's retirement yesterday. I was watching a compilation of his like ten outside the box goals from 2012-13. Sure, and one of them was, was against thing, yeah. Southampton, where he's beating. Where he's beating Luke Shaw in one of yeah. in one of those feet, and you just think like he's been around only a while 20... now, and it was what twenty fourteen? Yeah, joined twenty fourteen yeah.
1: United. I'm just trying to. Is he twenty seven now? I think he is. Yeah, twenty seven there's still plenty of, of of room to grow. By the way, it, I, if, we spoke about. Sorry, I was just saying, we spoke yeah, earlier about like being very happy for players. It was just striking me there when you're speaking about him, and I, like now when I picture Luke Shaw in my head, he seems like a like a world-class footballer and I think it's helped by his performances for England and kind of the stature he has within the camp there uh and that that England team now has a very good reputation but there is always that thing of wise sure brilliant sometimes and less good other times but regardless his reputation now at least from my perspective as a of a world-class footballer you think I uh, we're talking about being happy for people on their debuts but Shaw's sure, United journey is a it's not an incredible one. It's very believable because it all it all makes sense. But it's it's great to see the growth he's had since joining, since breaking his leg, since having a rough time on the marino all of that. So yeah. I'm pleased for him as well. It's not just the, the kids we're pleased for. Yeah, I mean
0: his his United story has he, he's quite a good representation really of United's he is, yeah. yeah since right. Sir Alex Ferguson left. He's kind of risen and fallen as the team has risen and fallen. If anyone, I'll, I'll tweet this after we finish recording, Harry. But there's, if anyone wants a really good representation of just how good Luke Shaw has been on the ball this year, if you go to, go on his football reference page on the passing section of his scouting report. There are, uh, I think, eighteen stats on here about his passing, and every single one he is above the 80th percentile for fullbacks. Good it mark. is an absolute joke, just how good he's been, and some of them. I just especially progressive passes 94th percentile passes into final third 97th percentile progressive passing distance 95th percentile passes completed 96th percentile yeah. he, he's he's playing at, at a level i don't think we've seen the united fullback play probably since patrice Everett was around honestly
1: yeah we must move on uh we are we're running out of time a little bit we got i'm going to save rashford chat for the patron bonus q and a because we've got several questions on him but very briefly I just, my God, I love that man. And I love seeing, <laughs> I love seeing him score for Man United. It's just, it is just the most unbeatable feeling. Like if, if that third goal against Charlton, it's Charlton Athletic, they're a League One club, we already knew United were going through. That would normally at Old Trafford, as it would at, at most football clubs, the third goal in a 3-0 win is not like the one you celebrate massively. Uh, any other player scores that, but Rashford and it kind of draws a, yeah, but when it's Rashford, there's something in the ground where you just know everyone around you has that same feeling of that's, that's our boy. And like the pride that people have for Marcus Rashford. I love it. And I love watching him. It's a different feeling. feeling. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I love it. And And I I think
0: I've noticed, sorry, really quickly, I've noticed a bit of a change in Rashford this season. and, And especially in the last couple of months in that, he scoring goals is is almost it's just part of the job at this point. Like you see his, yeah. ce- I know I know it was only Charlton, but you see his celebrations. He's not going crazy. It's sort of a yeah, I did that because I'm I'm just that fucking good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, enjoying it. We'll we'll speak more about him and kind of his development and changes, whatever, in in the Q and A. I should say this is a probably a good point to say where you can find the bonus Q and A's. If you go to our Twitter at UTD weekly pods, and that's POD at the end there, you can sign up for as little as 40 P a week. And after uh, one episode a week, you get a bonus Q and A, you can ask questions and you can obviously hear them. Even if you don't ask a question, uh, you also get ad free episodes and uh, early release episodes as well. So if you want to do that, do it. It helps us keep going and you get, free stuff well not free stuff you get good stuff (laughs) Bruno we haven't really got time to talk about him but he's been good and got a rest before City was good Anthony is an interesting one he scored against Everton scored against Charlton the Everton goal is not one you think of as brilliant. The Charlton one is. Let's hear from, yeah. Let's hear from regular contributor Kane Smith because he wrote an interesting piece for United District last week on the criticism of Anthony because he's getting a lot, and we'll talk about that after we, me and Jack will talk about that after we hear from Kane. But this is Kane kind of summing up the piece he wrote, but without the helpful graphics that that were in his piece. But he does a good job of it. So let's hear from
2: him. Anthony is one player that has split opinions since his 85 pounds move from Ajax in the summer. His extortionate price tag has brought upon large expectations, and whilst he might not be the complete package, he offers United something that not many others in the front line possess. The Brazilian is a very smart footballer, and that is one of the main reasons that Ten Hag brought him with him from Ajax. He is very astute and intense when defending, and also provides wit very well, which was shown on Tuesday for his goal but he's also got a very good sense of finding and attacking spaces inside of the area. For his goal against Everton, it might have seemed like an easy tap-in from a brilliant Rashford cross, but the actions before the ball was played showed Anthony's off-ball skills very well. He occupied the last line whilst Martial was deep, progressing the ball. He then found himself between the two defenders, and importantly, he anticipated and made a quick three-to-four-yard burst to his right side when he seen Rashford go on the outside of the defender, and this allowed him to be at the right place at the right time at the back post to score the goal. The wide man is often finding himself in pockets of space inside of the box, and that isn't by coincidence. He plays with intensity off the ball and changes his movement in order to get a yard on his marker. He used a bounce move, where he nudged the defender one way to bounce back into the space inside the box, ahead of the own goal from Cody against Everton for an (laughs) example. United's left side looking so strong, with Luke Shaw on form and Marcus Rashford on fire, Anthony will continue to find those spaces coming from the right, inside the box, and he could very well start to benefit should United work the ball into good cutback positions, which is one of the next steps offensively for Ten Hag's United. That movement is not only used to benefit the individual though, United are so used to attacking players who must have the ball at their feet but Anthony's movement and runs create space for others, as seen in Martial's goal against Forest, where he was able to receive on the edge of the box because of the Brazilians' run into the area, which occupied the back line and created the space for the Frenchman to have the shot. We are seeing glimpses of the on-ball talent that Anthony obviously has. He does need to build a better relationship with whatever right-back he plays in front of, whether that be Diego Dallo or Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He also needs to improve the use of his right foot, which was seen on a couple of occasions against Charlton. But there's a lot of good that he's bringing to the team and as Ten Hag mentioned, it's not always something that gets praised by the general media or the fans watching the game live. But it's slowly clicking, his inbox movement is showing and let's hope that he scores more of those scrappier goals in the second half of the season alongside some of those trademark curlers that we're getting to know him for.
1: Those trademark curlers are great, and the goal was was brilliant. Um, he is getting a lot of stick at United, but I'd, yeah, and I think some of that's justified. It, the The way he refuses to use his right foot in the last few games is it's like beyond parody. There was a moment where, in the second half, was it second half of the against f- Charlton? I can't remember. Anyway, it was a moment against Charlton. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was the other side uh, from the Stretford end, and I genuinely there's people just laughing around us, going, "What like?" <laughs> Just please use the right foot. And I, I'm wary to question the decision-making of a very talented, elite-level professional footballer. But you do think, come on, like you need to add a bit of variety to your game. So I think, would you agree that the criticism of him is absolutely justified in that regard?
0: Especially for the first couple of games that he played after the World Cup. I think he's been better in the last couple against Everton and, and Charlton. Yeah. But yeah, in the first couple, he was really poor. I, I think what's odd... Uh, when I when I've chatted to people about Anthony, I, I keep coming back to just this idea. He's he's a weird player, and and he is, you know, he he's someone that you would definitely describe as raw. You know, at, what is he? Twenty two, having yeah. especially after reading his the piece that he wrote in the Players Tribune a few months ago, you sort of understand a bit more about his background. He he's not someone that's had that much sort of formal football coaching as some yeah. players that come through English academies have since they're you know six or seven, and. But what's odd is that is that raw players when you when you describe a player as raw, generally they're very very talented on the ball, and and when they get the ball in space they use it brilliantly. You know, think think about a young Cristiano Ronaldo as probably the best example of a, of a raw player you could ever find. Yeah. Decision making maybe isn't the best, but unbelievably talented on the ball. But it's the off the ball work they need to improve. Yeah. Anthony the off, is the yeah. complete opposite. Off the ball, he's brilliant. His movement and that's is very why I yeah, exactly, and and you, I remember in Anthony's debut against was it Everton? No, oh no, Arsenal. His debut. Yeah, I remember there was a point in that game where United out of possession, Anthony was pressing, and I remember him going crazy at the, the other players in in the front line because they they weren't doing anything that he was used to doing for Ten Hag, Ajax. Yeah, and off the ball, Anthony's very very good, but on the ball is where he really really struggles. There was a couple of moments in in the Charlton game too, where when you're on the counter-attack, he had loads and loads of space to run into He just doesn't take advantage of space on the ball, but off the ball, he he uses space brilliantly. It's it's a really weird paradox that it needs to be improved. The one thing I would say is that in theory, improving on the ball should be easier than improving off the ball. Because off the ball, it's... improving off the ball, it, it requires a lot of context about what's happening around you. The situation that, that the game is in, the runs your teammates are making. On the ball, it's a lot easier to improve because it is just about you and your decision-making and your ability on the ball. It should be easier to improve that. Anthony, by all accounts, improved massively while he was at Ajax under Ten Hag. So you can only hope that's going to improve, but he he is an odd player to watch. He's, he's just a very different profile to most players that you would describe as as raw at his kind of age.
1: Yeah, I think what excites me from what Kane was saying there, and I agree with everything you said, what excites me is, is the Everton goal more than the Charleston goal, where you think yeah. that is what City have just perfected for years now with whichever winger they've had. And you take like Riyad Mahrez and um, he can score great curlers, but he's also often there at the back post to to mop up. Uh, Sterling's probably the best example of a, a winger who learnt that skill Anthony doesn't need to yeah, learn massively. that he's, he's got that skill so you know if United t- I think did we might have spoken about this in the Ten Hag review at the end of November that we wanted to see more of those kind of cutback goals. goals yeah. because there was clearly the ability with Luke Shaw left back and at right back uh, with if you have Martial playing at centre forward if you've got Rashford there's obviously the ability there to score those kind of goals I and mean, we don't do it quite enough Anthony did it um, in a slightly different scenario, but he's obviously got that ability. So I think that's what excites me from kind of a, all this is a different option to what we've got. Someone who's really good at that. And that also would suddenly change, and this has happened a bit already, but suddenly change kind of the threat of United from a left-sided team to a good team. Um, So yeah, should we, we we better move on. We've been speaking for a while. We've still got plenty to go. (laughs) So uh, should we do second guess the player clue? Um, Yeah, let's do it. Clue number two. Bear in mind the first clue to remind you because it's been a while. The first clue was I'm an Irish defender who made 199 appearances for Manchester United. The second clue is Ron Atkinson signed me for Manchester United, and my defensive partner was Kevin Moran. Oh, do you want uh, an immediate guess after that, or should we move on? I'll let okay, so we're I'll, thinking. I'll, I'll read it out again. Just why you think Ron Atkinson signed me for Manchester United? My defensive partner was Kevin Moran.
0: Okay, so we're looking at probably mid-80s. Is it Paul McGrath?
1: It is Paul McGrath. Well in. Is it? Yep. Yeah, after two <laughs> clues, your final clue would have been, I played under Atkinson again at my next club after United, where the fans nicknamed me God. That was Aston Villa, of course. Yeah, Paul McGrath, 199 appearances and an absolutely brilliant central defender. Um, yeah, Very good guessing. Well played.
0: Well, I honestly, I don't, I don't know if I would have got it from the, from the final clue. I didn't realise he went to Villa after United.
1: Yeah, but I didn't, the Villa wasn't in the clue to be fair. So. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe it would have confused things more. Yeah. I think Villa fans, I think United fans of a certain age love Paul McGrath, but like he's properly seen as, as, as God's gift in uh, in Birmingham they they absolutely adore him and as do the people of Ireland and rightly so
0: how long how long after Atkinson left United did he uh, sign McGrath for Villa uh
1: so he didn't McGrath signed for Villa before Atkinson became Villa manager
0: oh right, right, right.
1: I think while Graham Taylor was manager and then Atkinson came in and they they worked together again um, right, okay. from memory pretty sure that's right let's um But yeah, very good guessing. Well done. Let's uh, move on to a youth loan and women's roundup, beginning with the youth teams. Uh, United under-18s are in Youth Cup action this week. They play on Wednesday night, just after uh, we record this episode, just before this episode's released. So if you want more information on that game against Stoke City... You can see my reaction and analysis on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four, or you'll be able to find highlights on on the United website and all all the places they normally are. But it's a, uh, I mean, I don't want to speak too much about that game. It's an exciting game. United beat Palace three one in the uh, in the third round with a team that didn't include Kobi Mainu. He will obviously be missing again because he played. Uh, on Tuesday night, just just 24 hours before. Sam Mather is another one of the second-year players in that team, is also injured, I think, for this game. So it, it will be a test for United. night. Let's see how they do. Hopefully they progress again. The 18s play Blackburn uh, away on Saturday morning. It's their first league game back since the week, winter break and the under-21s play uh, at 5pm on Saturday against Liverpool at Lee Sports Village. A couple of United youth teams enjoyed some some overseas action. Last week, the under-17s played in the River uh, Junior Cup and the under-19s in the Mercedes-Benz Junior Cup, both in, in Germany, those tournaments. Big variety of teams from local German sides, whose names I can't pronounce, <laughs> to bigger clubs like Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, but not just German ones, Galatasaray were there, Rapid Vienna, lo- loads of clubs. It really, they, Those experiences are so good. These were like little uh, five-a-side indoor tournaments they're brilliant for like just as an experience for the team and, and bonding and whatever, but also the the skills that they, they teach United are big ones for encouraging that kind of level of like cage football, futsal, Zidane Bao played loads of futsal and and was good in these tournaments when he was younger. Maxi Deli was, was really good for the under 19s and the Mercedes-Benz. Shea Lacey stood out for the 17s. You might've seen an outrageous goal he scored. Um, in in one of those games, but they are five-side football, so don't read too much into it. Um, Jack, in terms of loan news, there's probably one standout, and that's that's Ahmad, isn't it? What's he been up to?
0: Yeah, he continues to to impress massively at Sunderland. It feels like every every week there's a new clip of Ahmad scoring or assisting for Sunderland. Yeah, he he assisted Sunderland's winner, their second goal, as they they came from behind to beat Shrewsbury. You mentioned it earlier. Shrewsby went 1-0 up in the 80th minute and Sunderland scored two goals <laughs> at stoppage time to turn wow. it around and get through to the next round of the FA Cup and Ahmad assisted the winner in the 94th minute. Ethan Laird came off the bench in QPR's 2-1 defeat to Fleetwood. He only played the last 10 or 15 minutes in that one and then it's like better news Alvaro Fernandez. Probably,
1: so just got, on Laird, is, QPR's team was, was fairly changed, I think, so that's kind of a, a sign of that Laird was kind of being rested for the league. Yeah, I mean, important he's, games, he's been a regular kind
0: of a for QPR all season and he's also really impressed with his performances. So expect him to come back in and, and you know continue a, a big run of games. And then the other one was Alvaro Fernandez. He played 88 minutes as Preston won in the FA Cup at the weekend and both Laird and Ahmad will now get the chance in the next round of the FA Cup to stack themselves up against Premier League opposition. Preston with Fernandez is going to be playing against Spurs and Ahmad with Sunderland uh, have been drawn against That's- Fulham. So that'd be a good test for those yeah, two.
1: because Fulham's not such a huge step. It is a step up and they're doing well and they're playing really well. But it's not like City where he'll not get any of the ball. Sunderland yeah, exactly. will, should be able to get a bit of possession and that's kind of what we need to see because Amos doing really well. But unless unless he really keeps playing well and keeps improving, I think the likelihood is he, he might then get a Premier League loan rather than coming back into the United team. So this this would be a great opportunity to really show what he can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, with, with Ahmad, I think at times we sort of forget, and I I certainly forget just how much money United paid yeah. for him and how much excitement there was about him. You know, he's he's come in, he's had a couple of impressive performances. I remember the, was it the final day against Wolves last season where he, he was like, brilliant, best player on the pitch. I think he scored in that one. You know, there have been flashes, but... It, it's absolutely been the right decision to send him out on loan, and he, I mean he continues to impress at Sunderland. Tony Mowbray can't speak yeah. highly enough of of Ahmad, and so he, hopefully that form continues. And like you said, we'll keep we'll be keeping a close eye on how he performs against Premier League opposition in the next round. Yeah,
1: the women have been uh, there, there's a winter break in the WSL uh, because it's a, a much smaller division, so they have time for that. They've been on a training camp in Malta over the last week, played a couple of friendlies. Uh, they're back this weekend at home to Liverpool uh, on Sunday the 15th of January a uh, kick is at five past two the game's on BBC One for any UK-based listeners who want to watch should be good uh, as a reminder of kind of the, the lay of the land United are third in the Women's Super League at the moment with 22 points from nine games, two points behind second place Arsenal with the same number of games played, five points behind the league leading Chelsea, but with a game in hand on Chelsea. It's uh, an exciting second half of the season to come. There is no doubt about that. Let's um, let's talk about City, Jack. Uh, we haven't got loads of time, but this is a really interesting and exciting game. And... United's schedules mad, it has been mad and is mad and so there's but I think there's no doubt that Ten Hag will have had this match on his mind for like the last three, 3 to 5 games. I think there's some interesting lineup kind of debates to be had, but in general it just feels like it, it feels like the clo- it should be and and derby's often managed to shock in in what they do, but it feels like it should be the closest derby in terms of how these teams are going into it in a, in a while.
0: Yeah, I mean Derby results over the last four or five years have generally tended to be, if City win, they win by a lot. If United win, we win by a goal here or there. And I think, I mean, yeah, you you should see the the way those, those derbies in recent years have tended to go. The sort of game flow has been United very much hoping to hang on, hit City on the counter-attack and sort of let City dictate the game. I will be interested to see how we approach this because on paper, this is, especially given recent form, where City have been a little bit up and down and United have been pretty good. This is probably the closest, you would say, the team, the closest match these two teams have been at any point in the last, really, I would, honestly, since Pep Guardiola came in. And so, I mean, I'm excited. And yeah,
1: well, it's just, I do think there were times on, look, United and City were were the league-leading pair in uh start of 2021, end of 20. 2020, and there's loads of caveats there. I know, but I I know what you mean. But I think it's it's close So that. There, there have been other occasions where it's it's looked similar under Mourinho and Van Gaal as well. I think, but
0: I, but I also think City haven't looked this vulnerable in quite a long time. Like their their recent yeah, form fair. hasn't hasn't been as good. You know, I think maybe United have been as good as we are now, but I think City have also dropped off from where they were in the last yeah, three or four seasons. Um, yeah, so I, I'm intrigued. Regardless of, of, of how closely matched the teams are, I'm I'm intrigued to see how we approach the game in terms of how much we want to try and impose ourselves on this match because this feels like an opportunity for United you know, like, to go out there and, and try and impose themselves and sort of say to Man City, look, we're, we're, we are a good team. We can also play. You know, we're not just going to sit back yeah, and you have 80% of the ball, but that, that is a scary up a massive thought, risk. isn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting. I don't know what the right answer is. we're at the honeymoon period with Ten Hag aren't we where you just think oh yeah we'll just there's no point talking about we'll just see what the manager does and I'll I'll have absolute (laughs) faith in that Um, yeah it's it's silly but that is kind of how football works
0: most of the team kind of picks itself I think the only real question well one is Dallow's injury he obviously came off against Charlton Ten Hag said it was precautionary I think
1: that was a precaution yeah
0: then I think yeah. the, big, the biggest tactical decision is in midfield. It, it's whether, are, yeah, I was are we going to stick Fred or, with Ericsson or go with someone like Fred or McTominay?
1: I would bring Fred in for a bit of bite because I don't think United can control the game against City. And I know that's not all Ericsson does. But I think given the quality that Casemiro has shown, given the fact Bruno Fernandes will be fresh, he was rested in midweek. Uh, I think the fact that we know we have a really good out ball with Casemiro now, which we didn't used to have. So say, say Casemiro wasn't in the picture and you knew you were going to have to play McTominay in that position, then absolutely you'd want Eriksen to give you that quality. And that was the situation United were doing in October. Um, now I think we have that faith in Casemiro. I think you're less reliant on Eriksen to give you that calmness and composure in midfield when you need it. And so I think you want that kind of loose, kind of uh, just ex- mad energy of Fred. And he's he's done well, yeah, yeah. I did, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I think I would want that. What, what, what do you think?
0: I think what makes it what makes it hard is that Fred seems like the obvious choice for all of the reasons you just gave, and also because even if United do approach this game, not trying to allow City to dictate as much as that we normally allow them to do in these derbies, the way that City defend they're never going to sit in a deep or mid-block. They're always going to put you under under some amount of pressure. And so controlling the game is always difficult because if if they manage to pressure and win the ball back, obviously you've lost the ball, you're not controlling the game. But even if you do manage to retain possession, it's rarely ever going to be controlled. You're always going to be under some amount of pressure. And if you get through that initial press, then you have space to run into. Again, you're still not controlling the game because you have good sort of attacking opportunities there. And so to that point, you do sort of wonder whether A... So it, it kind of goes both ways because that makes me wonder if, A, is, is it worth having Ericsson in the team when we're probably not going to control this game anyway, even if we play well and have a good amount of possession. But then on the flip side, you think, well, if we're going to be yeah. playing under pressure quite a lot, do you really want Fred to be the one in those roles? And, and you know, maybe, maybe the, <laughs> the sort of compromise there is that you play Fred and you, and you sort of go long a little bit more and try and exploit the spaces. City at fullback, especially have a few issues at the moment. Cancelo's been out of favour that is certainly an area you feel like United can exploit. So maybe the sort of, maybe the solution there is to play Fred and and you sort of just say, we're not going to play through midfield when City are putting us under pressure. We're going to go long a little bit more often, look to get the ball into the wide areas and and kind of play from there. Maybe that is the solution and it somewhat mitigates Fred's limitations on the ball. But, you know, Fred receiving the ball 20 yards from, from his own goal with pressure at his back, that is a prospect that scares me. And I think that is is where the worry would come from. But is
1: that is that where we've just is that where we've come unstuck against City? Because I don't think it is. And I've just gone back to check my notes from the episode we recorded after the game in October. And uh, you've, I don't even need to do that. <laughs> when 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 we played against City, what, what what's the problem is that we never follow our runners and they just do us like that. It's not actually that we're conceding possession because yes, uh, yes, in the October game there were a couple of ge- uh, goals they scored on transition like that and, but that, I don't think that was kind of the key problem. What gives me a bit of confidence going into this is that the concentration levels we've seen at United and that the players are speaking about is so much higher than yeah. they were in October yeah. and the focus and so I, I feel positive about that.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I don't a- think where we've come
1: yeah. unstuck against City is, is losing the ball.
0: Out of possession, there's there's no question whatsoever that Fred is is the is the the better option. It was the the Fred in possession consideration was more. I think because this is a I, I think United are going to try to I, I think we're going to try to impose ourselves more in this game than we have done in most derbies in the past.
1: Oh, it's such a it, that fills me with like both excitement <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. and fear.
0: <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. but I, I think on balance, I probably would start Fred because I think. The, the potential for it going wrong is is probably, it's easier to, to get around Fred's limitations on the ball than it is to get around Eriksen's limitations off it, basically, is, is I think the way I would put it.
1: Yeah, agreed. And if it's not working and United are one down after half an hour, just change it. No, yeah, not and the end of the world. You got to say because as well, I think when you're changing, when you're doing that change for like obvious reasons, tactical reasons, I don't think players take it quite as harshly as if no. it's for. I mean, they probably do. But um, uh, what do you want to give a score prediction? Because I don't.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go. It's I've, so
1: hard to call. I'm, I'm going
0: to go. I'm going to give a score prediction, but I'm also going to sit on the fence in the same way that you're doing. <laughs> I'm going to go for a, a highly entertaining two-two draw.
1: Wow. Okay. I, I didn't even think of the possibility of the draw. He's, he's, I'll,
0: I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go a little bit more specific. I, I think United are going to come out the blocks fast. I think we're going to go 2-0 up and try and survive in the second half. And we're going to, cons- let, let's see, make that's comeback.
1: That's one of the hard, that will be really hard to take. But then a week later, you'll think, okay, that's a massive sign of improvement and, yeah. and progress. I'm not going to give, I, I genuinely, I just, I don't, <laughs> know, I, I don't know what to expect. Because uh, partly because I don't know whether United will try and take it to, to City or will try and do what we've we've done in the past. And I think that makes it even harder. If you knew how United were going to play, I might be able to to, to give on. But yeah, I'm not even going to do it. This feels like
0: a huge, <laughs> obviously any derby is a huge game, but this, this in particular feels like a massive measuring stick game for United. Yeah. Because we've obviously been on this great run and it, in terms of sort of narrative and, and sort of the improvement arc of this team, the, the defeat to City has been when sort of this good run started to start. We've only lost one game since against Aston Villa. I think it's like one defeat in 17. And you feel like if you win this game, it's a massive sign of the progress that we have made. You come in and, and you get beaten, especially if you get beaten badly. It, it takes a lot of the shine off of what we've seen
2: since we come fun. back from the World Cup yeah. and it
0: opens you up to those accusations of, well, you just beaten you know bottom half teams and, you know, League One teams. This is a, a massive, massive game, not just for the league table, but also how I think we and others view United going yeah.
1: forward. I think City will think this is huge as well, because uh, if yeah. if Arsenal beat Spurs, which I expect they will, and City lose to us, suddenly another six points opened up. Well, yeah. three points, but you, you know what I mean?
0: And I, meant, I mentioned City's like relative struggles. Like it's gone a little bit under the radar that, Like I think Haaland's amazing goal scoring record has sort of taken all the headlines about City, but this is their worst season in four or five Mm. years quite comfortably. And I think that has gone a little under the radar. they still a very good season, but they're not hitting the heights that they have been in in the past few years. And if they lost this game, like like you said, we're all, I mean, if we, if we beat City and Palace, we go above City. (laughs) So at that point, I think they're in. We'll talk about
1: that when it happens, but it is, (laughs) it is just really nice. To be able to go to United now, and and just in, enjoy watching the team, however it kind of pans out. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't don't need to go any deeper than that. It's just it's good, isn't it? And it, it's it's it, it is incredible. Our football. It's sad in one way, but I don't think it really is sad. It's, I, I love it I might say it's sad on the outside but I love it on the inside it's incredible how football can affect kind of your day to day's mood and, and when United are winning it's, it's lovely and, and we're wrapping up an episode with, with a smile on my face so that's always nice And it's nice. incredible
0: how quickly it changes I too I know, yeah Like last night watching Elanga play for United and, and McTominay and Fred in midfield Yeah Like it it was just it was almost quite jarring at times like watching those players that were such a mainstay last season and have barely had a sniff this year. Yeah. You know, it, and everything about Man United feels so, so different than it did eight months ago.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of fragility here, isn't there? You mentioned it with, say, yeah, so we lose the city, but also with the uncertainty around the sale. And I think the fact that because the sale was floated before January, had it not been that, I think there'd be a lot more anger right now about the lack of investment in a striker yeah. and, and how slow things are. We haven't even spoken about Valkveig yet, yet, but we can do that another time. There is, there is a lot of that fragility, I think, but I'm just going to enjoy it for now. And I think everyone else should too. It's, it's nice to do. Um, we're going to go to our Patreon Q&A. I explained earlier how you can how you can sign up to that our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there for Jack's thoughts throughout the week you can find him on Twitter at
0: at UTD takes T-A-I-T
1: and me at Harry Robinson 64 and as I say the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thank you very much for listening it's been lovely to be back and talk positively about United and enjoy the Derby have a great week see you soon